Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to BYT Radio. My name is Brandon Weatherby. BYT Radio stands for Brightest Young Things Radio. Brightest Young Things is an arts and culture website based out of Washington, D.C., with a presence in New York and Chicago. And we also happen to throw events. Earlier this month, we had our Death Becomes Us Festival. It's a true crime festival. Uh, It was weird. Weird is not bad. Weird is just weird. Uh, For example, if you'd like to see some photos of Lorena Bobbitt hanging out with Amanda Knox... Go to brightestyoungthings.com. Death Becomes Us made that happen. Yeah, it's a thing. Uh, What we do on the editorial side is more about what's going on in and around Washington, D.C. One of the the long-time coming restaurants is finally here. The Imperial is open. It's actually down the street uh, from the beautiful Line Hotel in the beautiful Adams Morgan neighborhood of Washington, D.C., where full-service radio is located. The Imperial is now open. And if you would like to see our photos and uh, read a little bit about it, go to brightestyoungthings.com. And that's why their wine director, Morgan Kirchner, is on this edition of BYT Radio. Since next week is Thanksgiving, we talk a little bit about what wines pair well with Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, Since it's me, we also talk about what wines pair well with Taco Bell. Uh, We talk a little bit about Virginia wine. It's a wine-based conversation Framed around Thanksgiving with the Imperial's wine director, Morgan Kirchner. Once again, uh, the Imperial down the street on 18th, uh, right off of Florida and you. It's massive. It's great. You're going to want to check it out. Go to see the photos at BritishYoungThings.com. Without further ado, here's my chat with Morgan Kirchner. What attracted you to the wine field? To Uh, To the wine area, not the wine field. Yeah, no, that's that's an easy answer. Uh, I was in culinary school. Okay. I started in the industry when I was 15. Okay. I started back of the house. So what does a person do in the back of the house at 15 years old? You cut a lot of onions, peel a lot of potatoes, okay. make a lot of sherry cream in a little restaurant in Occoquan. In where? Occoquan. Where's that? It's Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia. I should know that as well. Okay. <laughs> so it's nearby. You're familiar with the area. Going from that to what you're doing now does not seem like a straight line. Culinary school, that makes sense. Yeah. You go to culinary school, in theory, to be a chef? That was the goal. Okay. So what, something changed during culinary school? I had this, like, like, um, mental break moment. Not even mental break, but, like, I was in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. I was looking at an older chef, and I was like, I can't see myself doing this in 50 years. I don't want that. You didn't want that. Was that chef a man or a woman? It was a man. It was a man. Do you see a lot of... I'm assuming, you, how old was the chef? You said 50 years. You didn't want to see yourself at 70 being a chef. Correct. Do you see a lot of 70-year-old chefs today at all? I don't think in kitchens anymore. Okay. I think as like chef professors or teachers, okay. you see a lot of that. But you wanted to work in the industry, so you decided to do what you're doing now? I did. I had a class that surrounded wine, and I was underage at the time. But the way the way the culinary institute worked was you could you could taste and then spit and like you still got to immerse yourself in sure. this thing, which is really cool. 
uh, and I was fascinated by food and wine pairing. Okay, so the pairing is what turned you on. Now, uh, what if you hate the food and you have to pair something? Because inevitably you're not going to like everything. It's impossible. Absolutely. And I'm assuming you're dealing with a new restaurant. You're gonna they're gonna fire up a lot of dishes that they're trying out mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily gonna make the menu, and you're gonna have to fit, and you're gonna have to try to find the positive in this. So, do you have some wines in mind that you that necessarily aren't for you? That you're like this food isn't for me. This wine isn't for me. Maybe they belong together. Maybe not so much that. Okay. Maybe it's just like um, there's. Wine and food pairing is, once you understand flavors, okay. very easy. Okay. It's a very easy concept because, like, you can take components of a dish or, like, individual flavors of a dish and identify individual flavors in a wine and know that those will just work well together. Okay. Could you give me an example, please? Sure. Um, uh, Let's go something super general and probably bad for you, okay? Can we do, okay, can we do fast food? <laughs> we can absolutely do fast food. Okay, great. Taco Bell. Anything at, you name the menu item at Taco oh Bell, God. now pair a wine with it. Taco Bell. Uh, so I'm assuming something that's friendly with a lot of salt. Yes, of Friendly course. with a lot of processed, middle-of-the-road flavors. I want, like, Vino Verde. Vino Verde. And Taco Bell. Why? Why does Vino Verde and Taco Bell make sense? Now, of course Taco Bell isn't actually true Mexican cuisine. Of course, it's it's its own thing. It's Taco Bell. <laughs> it's Taco Bell. It's entirely yes. that. But when you think about food and wine pairing, if it grows in the same place, generally it goes together. What if it grows in a lab? <laughs> I'm not seriously, because like I love certain made-up foods. Sure. Cotton candy does not need to. Cotton candy doesn't exist in the real world. No. Cotton candy exists. You're right. Is there a wine pairing for cotton candy? So here is my scapegoat yes. for all of these things. I am, I stole this term from a professor I had. I'm a self-proclaimed bubble slut. Bubble slut. Bubble slut. So I'm, like champagne and cotton champagne, candy? Champagne, bubbles. Bubbles go with everything. Okay. Literally everything. Let's go the opposite of bubbles and sweet. You have a beef wellington on the menu at the Imperial. We do. It's the opposite of cotton candy. It's heavy, it's rich, it's delicious. It's not like Taco Bell. I could identify, <laughs> but similar to Taco Bell, it definitely scratches a certain itch because it's very savory. It's probably bad for your heart, <laughs> but I like it, and I don't. Care. I'm, not, I'm not like trying to knock the dish. Yeah. I like it quite a bit. But what this is probably much easier for you to pair because you've already done this. Right. What's the ideal pairing for the beef Wellington at the Imperial? You want when you look at that dish, you have a bunch of really flaky puff pastry that's mm -hmm. very buttery, so you have a ton of fat. Okay. So you want something that's still going to cut through that fat a little bit. Uh, and what cuts through fat? It's acidity or it's tannin. So you need to have one or the other happening here so that you can, you can enjoy the dish properly. There's a lot of mushrooms in there with a duxelle that like wraps the, the tenderloin. Uh, there's this really beautiful beef jus okay. that comes alongside of it and sits on this like bed of leeks. Um, ideally, I would want to put something against that that had kind of an interesting balance of acid and tannin. Okay. That wasn't really too heavy in one direction or the other because although it's this big, heavy, dense dish, there's still uh, a levity to it. Like it's very, it's it is exactly what it is. Uh -huh. You don't want to overshadow that with some crazy thing. Uh, it doesn't need a big, bold cabernet. I don't think. Okay. What so? What's the specific wine you would pair with it? I have a wine on my menu from McPherson Cellars. Okay, you tried it. Yes, you enjoyed it. That's the one from Texas that I love. Yes. Yes. EBS Windblown. Okay. 
Now, how did you find out that the, the is it, not Laredo, where is it? It's, um, it's Lubbock. Lubbock, Texas, yes. How did you find out about the Lubbock, Texas wine? The distributor who carries it. Okay. So that's somebody coming to you. That's how you're figuring out you're tasting a bunch of this stuff. Had you ever uh, tasted Texas wine before? I don't think I had. Yeah, it's not like known for no. anything. Okay. <laughs> it's not. not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just something that you didn't know about and now you know about it. Right. So uh, I'm a stranger to wine. I'm going to the wine store. I'm shopping for Thanksgiving. Yes. Let's say I'm going to go to Harris Teeter. Let's say I'm going to go to Safeway. I'm going to a major market grocery store. Cool. What should I be looking for if I'm a novice and I'm just trying to please everybody and I don't really drink, but I need to have a bottle of wine at the table? What should I buy? I think the first thing to take into consideration here is price point. Sure. Um, Let's say $15 a bottle. Perfect. That was that was what I was going to say because once you hit that, once you take the step and get over $10 a bottle and go between like $15 and $25, uh -huh. You have exponentially more interesting lines. So you think that it's worth spending upwards of $15 just to get out of that first tier bracket? Yes. Okay. What if you're going to Trader Joe's where like there might be only like two wines that are like $15? I, fair enough. There are plenty of wines that are under $15 that are still going to be interesting. Too. Sure. Um, really, okay, so Thanksgiving's a marathon. Yes. But you need something to get you through it, right? Yes. When we talk about marathon drinking, we want low ABV. Yes. We want something that's going to be refreshing on the palate. That's not going to overcloud or over uh, stimulate your palate, I guess. It's like sweet wines, and although I love them, bubbly wines can sometimes get tiring on okay. your palate after a while. So maybe something with the higher acid. Uh, my default when I go anywhere and I know we're going to be eating generally is Riesling. Just a Riesling. Just Riesling. Riesling. Okay, uh, one of the things that I've heard, and I have no idea if it's true, is the bottom of the bottle, mm -hmm. the deeper it is, the better it is, because there's less sediment. Now, you're literally laughing at me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you heard this? I, I've heard this before. I don't think there's... Any science behind it? <laughs> Any, yeah. Okay, I'm just asking a question. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So, when you're going in blind, that does not help in any way whatsoever? Not really. Okay. So something so something like a Riesling actually is really interesting because they... German Rieslings or Alsatian Rieslings generally come in uh, what's called a flute uh -huh. bottle. F-L-U, little, like... Sure. Umos. Hat. Yeah, not a hat. Yeah. Not a new <laughs> A hat. All right. Hat. T-E. Uh, it's a specific type of bottle for that region. Okay. It doesn't have a punt okay. bottom in a lot of cases. All right. That's good to know. Thank <laughs> you. So the price point I want to start with is 15 to 25. Sure. You're going to go with a Riesling. What if you hate Riesling? What if you know somebody like just absolutely despises it? What's a middle of the road wine I can get? This is the time to name names here. If you have a okay. brand loyalty for like anything that's readily available, that would be helpful. Oh and I understand that that's not at all what you're doing at the Imperial. <laughs> because we were talking about this. I can't sure. buy that Texas wine around here. No. I've, I've tried. It's not possible. I have to order online, which is fine. Mm -hmm. The internet works, and D.C. is one of the few places you can get stuff shipped. So it's, it's not a big easy. deal. But other parts of the country, it's not so easy to get these things. What's something that you could buy in a major grocery store, in a Trader Joe's, <clears throat> that you know I could depend on that? It's not the best. But it'll get me there, and it won't make me feel like garbage the next day. Right. So, no sweet. Okay. <laughs> obviously. Not obviously, but like, you know, sweeter things, hangovers, terrible. Mm -hmm. um, as far as brand loyalty, I don't. You don't have any don't brand have loyalty? I don't have any brand loyalty okay. for something like that. 
um, I was buying for a little while. There's this really, I can't even remember the name of it. It starts with a B. Okay. It has like a, there's green lettering on the front. It comes in a green bottle. Uh, it's just an aromatic white wine blend. Okay. Kind of thing. It has, um, I think it has some VMA in there. I think it's, by all accounts, it's not that great a wine. But it's refreshing on the palate and it's easy to drink. <laughs> Great. Give me the red version of that. The red version of that. I would go for Thanksgiving. For Thanksgiving. Lighter. Lighter. Go lighter. It's not worth, once again, overwhelming your palate sure. over and over again. Pinot Noir. Okay. Gamay. Um, some Grenache. That kind of thing. Uh, in this instance, I would probably send someone towards more... Oregon Pinot Noir, if you can find it at a, at a great price point. A lot of times you can't. Okay, what's a great price point for you to for an Oregon Pinot Noir in a grocery store? In a grocery store, you probably, uh, you may find one in that topper, or that top, topping out in that price point. What, the fifteen twenty five? Yeah. Okay, you may, you may so it's something. doable. It's, I think it could be doable, um, just based on like what I'm getting mine sure. <laughs> over there. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Now, the Imperial is the exact opposite. This is the stuff that you're not going to be able to find in a grocery store. Correct. Is that is there a reason for that? Do you want to have stuff that no one else has? Is that one of the goals? Yeah. Okay. It is. Um, I, I understand that accessibility is important in a lot of cases. Uh, I think price accessibility is far more important than your ability to go out and buy the same wine that I'm selling for you yes, yes. at a higher price point than you're going to buy it in a grocery store because that's how supply and, and works and all of that. So, I don't know. I don't want I don't want you to be able to walk down the street, go into a grocery store, and feel like I cheated you. Understood. Are there any wines that you didn't bring in because they're too expensive that you know are great? It's just... Yeah. I'm assuming that's a bigger problem than, like too affordable. Absolutely. Uh, we don't have anything over on our list over $200 a okay. bottle. And there are plenty of things <laughs> that I really wanted to bring in. Sure. But it's just, I, if I can't make it work under that cap, people in the neighborhood are sure. going to enjoy it. Well, then we're in Adams Morgan. Are there, is there any place in Washington, D.C. that uh, more accepted than $200 a bottle that you think is absolutely worth it? Like a great wine selection, but it's a totally different feel than what you guys are doing. Uh, kinship. Kinship? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's worth your money. I would say so. Okay. I haven't been in a, over a year. Sure. But I think that their wine selection is fantastic. Do you get wined out? Are you sick of this stuff? I'm not sick of it yet. Good. <laughs> now, you have to, I'm assuming you keep a notebook with all this great stuff. What are some of the adjectives and adverbs that you put down when you're trying to describe a wine? Because my wife and I like wine. Great. <laughs> That's not helpful. <laughs> and then we try to ex talk to each other about why we like it. And we, I don't think I have the right terms. And like you, yeah, I've watched all of the top chefs I can. And I've watched you know, these things. And I, and I talk to people like you. I talk to some allies. I talk to wine directors. But I don't know why I like what I like the same way I could tell you why I like a certain bourbon. Because the okay. bourbon's a lot easier. Sure. Even though we're, in, we're currently recording in Jack Rose, there's thousands of bourbons. For all intents and purposes, there's like 20. <laughs> At the liquor store, there's like 20. Yeah. And that's broken down into like, there's three. Yeah. So it's really, really, really easy to be like, I don't like, I like bourbon more than rye, more than Irish, here's why. It's not as easy to do that with wine. But I don't think I have the right set of terms. So, when you're tasting, what are you writing down to distinguish 
X is better than Y is better than C? Uh, acidity. Acidity. We talked a ton about. Yes. Uh, body. Okay. Tannin. Sure. And then, of course, anytime, this is very old school, I know, anytime I taste a wine, I try and pull out as many flavor characteristics as possible. That being said, mm -hmm. I've done that enough that I know where my loyalties lie. Yeah. I like aromatic white wine blends. That is my thing. That is something I very much enjoy. Do you think you're going to change? Because palettes change. For sure. Okay. Absolutely. Ten years from now, is it even possible that you'll like aromatic white wines as much as you do now? Could be. Okay, great. <laughs> have you talked to anybody else in their field, in your field, that has have flipped their opinion, be it positively or negatively, about something that they once adored? So we talked about Riesling yes. earlier. Um, I think Riesling, for most wine professionals, Riesling is one of those just like easy go-tos. You see a Riesling on a menu, I'm going to have Riesling because I know exactly what it's going to be. Okay. Depending on, of course, where it's from. But I know it's going to be bright, acidic. It's going to have some fresh fruit flavors, and there's going to be a little bit of this like floral thing going on in some cases. It's just easy and crushable. And at this point, you are so wined out doing all of the other things that you're doing. Your palate just craves something easy. Do you have a, do you have an easy Riesling you have at home, or do you not even have wine at home at this point? I, I don't really have wine at home. Yeah, because it's your job. At this point, right? Exactly. Before, let, let's say you were going to stock your uh, home with a case of Riesling. What case would you have? Oh man. Availability uh, is not an issue. This is a hypothetical. Okay, cool. Um, I really like. I really like FST. FST Riesling. E F E S T E. Fest. Say, okay. say it again. FST. FST. Did you say there was an E in there? And I apologize. No, you're fine. We're both speaking English, first language. Great. <laughs> so FST wine, Riesling. Any specific year, or does it not matter? Not really. Okay, cool. I think I like Pinot Noir. What does cool. that tell you about me? I from that, I would take a guess and say that you prefer red wines yeah. with less of a harsh tannin structure. I think so. I that think would, so. That would be the the guess. What if I come in and I give you a beer I like? Can cool. we try? Is that doable? Yeah. I'm assuming like a Guinness is probably easier to tell. I, I love Guinness. What do you recommend? You love Guinness. Do you also do you drink Pilsners also? Sure. Okay, cool. <laughs> Guinness drinkers like something that's obviously it's heavy on the palate. Mm -hmm. uh, it drinks like you're eating an entire loaf of bread, mm -hmm. but it's still low ABV. Yeah. So you can drink four or five of them, and that's the you know that's that's the goal in wine too. Is you can still drink four or five of them and not get totally slosh, but yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that would lead me immediately towards a red. Okay because you like that darker, nuttier flavor profile, maybe. Sure. Uh, i probably push you in the direction of Pinot Noir. What about Bud Light? Uh, <laughs> Don't, it's, um, I think it's like a number one beer, America's number yeah. one beer. Don't do the, uh, thing. people like sugar, so. No, listen, I drink Bud Light. <laughs> we all Thai drink Bud bar? Light. Absolutely. It's a bar. Exactly. What do you recommend for Bud Light drinkers? Something easy and crushable. Is that a Riesling person, or is that, like, too sweet? Is that too clean? I don't know. Yeah, well, I think it could be too easy. Too in easy. In some cases. So maybe we go, we push that person in the, the direction of, like, a Sauvignon Blanc. So Sauvignon Blanc <laughs> and Bud Light Thanksgiving pairing. Uh, let's say uh, you're doing a vegan Thanksgiving. Cool. Does that change your pick for wine? 
you're doing a vegan Thanksgiving, uh, and all vegans of the world, please forgive me. But no, uh, if you're doing a vegan Thanksgiving, chances are you're not using much fat either because you're probably not. Probably not. Probably not. There's not that animal fat that yeah. comes into into play here. Um, so tannin, it just it just doesn't make any sense. Okay. To be quite honest, uh, you want to stay on the lighter side in that scenario. Um, you're probably going to be drinking primarily whites, maybe fuller bodied whites, maybe a Chardonnay might come into okay. play. Um, I might recommend something more along the vein of like a Chablis than a like a Napa Valley Chardonnay. Okay. That's going to be like that super oaky, buttery, popcorn-y thing. So it's like when I think of like Real Housewives and stuff, that's the kind of wine I'm thinking of. That's Me super personally. oaky, buttery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of not good things. So, okay. <laughs> what if you're just concerned about desserts? Cool. You don't care about the turkey and the stuffing, but you really care about the pie. Okay. What's the wine you're recommending? Uh, let's go Fortifieds. Okay. What does that mean? So Fortified wines are, are things like Sherry's, Madeira's, Port's. Yeah, do you like Port? I do like Port. It's, was that a learned thing like coffee? Yes. Okay. I didn't. So if I keep trying it, I'll sooner or later <laughs> like it? Maybe. Okay. But some people just don't like it. Some people don't like coffee. Yeah, I like it now. Right. But, like, I went from sugar and cream to, like, barely any milk to, like, trying to get to black, and I'm still not at black. And I feel like port I've not even started. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I'm going to get there. I don't like scotch either, and I realize I'm in Jack Rose saying that, but, like, <laughs> it's not for me. That's fair. What does that tell you about my wine flavor profile if I don't like scotch? You don't like I scotch. I don't like scotch. Cool. But I like mezcal. So, so square that about, circle. Cool. So you, in this No, this is me in reality. Yeah. No, so this is, <laughs> this is this my is reality. your reality. You don't like scotch because you don't like peat? I think so. But I like mezcal, so... You like mezcal. Mezcal and scotch production are very different. I understand that, but yeah. people usually say, like, oh, you like one, you like the other. It's well, peat is just can get so medicinal in some cases that it's like it it comes across too. Well, I like super medicinal gins. Interesting. So like I don't, I don't think that's the issue. Mm. This all could be entirely based in experience and not flavor profile and horrible associations with scotch and not sure. horrible associations with mezcal. So um, that could be the issue. I guarantee if we went downstairs, I could find you a scotch that you like. You're right. But, yeah, I could find a good thing of anything. Of course. Because it's good. Any, right, of course. Exactly. But at the end of the day, it's the same way I was just saying that there's like essentially 20 different whiskeys. Mm -hmm. For the most part, I like all of them. For the most part, for scotch, I'm like, I could drink all this. I don't like to drink any of this. And I really hate vodka. But I, I know why I hate vodka. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I could explain that to you. I can't explain my I dislike of like scotch. scotch. Yeah. It's really interesting. And it's, it's interesting that you like the medicinal gins and yeah. all of that. It could... Maybe you're just not a big fan of barley. Okay. The barley flavor profile. It could be that. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I it's, don't either. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing where I don't know how to talk to people like you, which sounds like an insult. And it is. Um, <laughs> I don't know because I, I really want to find... these are the these, I know why I like the wine. Here's sure. why. And I, all I find myself doing is like taking photos of bottles I like, and then not being able to explain why I like that bottle. And the bottles range in price from like ten dollars to a hundred dollars. And sure. like once again, not very helpful. 
No, but it is. Is it? Yeah, if you show somebody a bottle of wine <clears throat> and you say that you enjoyed it. But I can't verbalize how I enjoyed it or why I enjoyed it. That's fine. I think. Okay. In my opinion, I think that that's fine because you're showing me something that's like, okay, cool. This is something that has some oak to it. This is something or that could potentially, based on what it is and where it's from, mm -hmm. could have some oak, might have, you know, we're talking about like acidity levels and tannin sure. structure and all of these things. Like we're looking at where that balance is, like on a... So if I go into the Imperial and I have my phone on and I show you, hey, you got this bottle, like, what will you do with that information? If I'm asking for a recommendation. I'll probably tell you that we don't have the bottle. Sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> and then uh, we'll move forward and figure out, we'll talk about, I don't know, I think it's really important, guest and server or sommelier or bartender interaction is so important and that conversation that like first establishment of trust is so important so you come in you show me a bottle I, if anybody ever writes you off doing that they're wrong and they're bad at their job sure firstly secondly we're gonna go over what it is and like what the varietals are where it's from and then you know maybe we could get into vintage if it's something that's even you know of that level and, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't, that doesn't matter. Um, and then we find something on my list that works for you. So I'm assuming you've gone to like, not an expo, but like the wine conferences or whatever, yeah. where it's just like a bunch of, uh, of folks. Uh, for the people that have no idea what I'm talking about, think of it like a trade show, but for wine. Correct. It's like that. And I've been to a few of these, and I'm sure you've been to a few of those. And every time I go, I don't know what I'm doing. Because I'm going from press. I, I don't know why the fuck they invite me. Sure. I just go because it's great. And right. It's fun. Cool. And then I end up writing down like what I like. And then I, later on I look. And I seem to like the most expensive stuff. <laughs> and, I, and I'm only mentioning this because I feel like it took me a long time to like kind of square the circle saying like, you know what? You kind of do get what you pay for when it comes to wine. And it's true. You're the professional. I am not. Is that true? In... Like eighty percent of cases, yes. Okay. I would say so. So it's not so like when you say like yeah, spend that extra ten dollars, spend that extra ten dollars. It's there are levels. Okay. Right. So like under the ten dollar range, you're getting what you pay for. Sure. <laughs> but you could. Will you? Will you ever find like a deal? Is that even possible? At that for sure. Point? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Somebody doesn't either. They're not familiar with it, or they got it at a great price. For their through their distributor and they're just excited to put the, the wine forward absolutely that's totally totally a thing um but it's pretty rare pretty rare okay T wine that's under ten dollars is just meant to drink it's not meant to be interesting it's not meant to be unique it's not look at you drunk exactly okay okay <laughs> you just sit around and enjoy it um between $15 and $25, like we said, that's when things start to get a little more interesting. Yeah. I think then the levels or the, the brackets start to expand a little bit. I mean, between $25 and $50, things kind of start to maybe get a little more interesting. Between $50 and $150, you know what you're stepping into. Maybe you can uh, fo focus your, like, your regionality a little bit because you know that you like this wine from this producer from this region. Yeah. And that... You know, that kind of thing. Sure. You can focus it a little bit more. But once you get, you know, 150 to $300, we'll yeah. say. <clears throat> Is anything at that price point a lie? 
Because I feel like at that, oh, it is a lot, some of it. I figured, like, by that point, it's been vetted, and there's been a consensus. But no, you're saying that sometimes it's just a fit. It's really good marketing. It's good backstory. That's it. Okay. I would absolutely argue that, and um, I think things like Opus One in California, which is this massive winery, and all they do is produce Cabernet, and you walk in, and it looks like, you feel like you're in... Uh, some sort of like it, it doesn't feel real <laughs> was this in the wine show the wine show starred Matthew Reese from the Americans <laughs> and the guy that ends up marrying the oldest daughter on Downton Abbey and it's a travelogue show and it's great it's just two fellas busting each other's balls and drinking wine across the world and they, I think they go to that winery if it's the one I'm thinking of okay anyways cool. please no. continue you, it's totally it's it's outrageous, and like to pay for it, you have to pay for a tasting. But the tasting's like fifty or seventy-five dollars, and all you do is sample like four different cabernets. And I think it's total bullshit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well good like, for them. They, they figured out an angle. They figured it out, and they're making money, and it's working for them. But things like that, these like sure. really, they're like good cult following wines, of course. Give me a good cult following wine. Uh, okay, cool. So same vein, same area. Corison. Kathy Corison. Corison. C-O-R-I-S-O-N. Why is Corison worth it? Because it's good, and I know it's it's good at the price point that it is. It is a little more expensive, okay. but it backs it up, okay. and it packs the punch that, that really, it makes it worth it. You're, you, um, you're from Virginia? You, you went to culinary school in Virginia. New York. New York. Yes. You worked in a restaurant in Virginia at one point. Correct. Great. You're familiar with Virginia wines. Yeah. Give me one recommendation. That's all I'm asking for. Oh, man, we did this the other day. You're, you're right. And I've been talking about this a lot to a lot of people. Just one recommendation. Okay. It doesn't have to be every single wine at the winery is good. Just one recommendation. I'm going to keep talking so you can think about this. For any wine, it doesn't have to be on the Imperial's menu. Okay. That you think people might enjoy this holiday season. What is that? One winery in Virginia. RDV. RDV. Yes. Rob Van Dam. RDV. 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 Where is RDV? RDV is, I believe it's like two and a half hours outside the city. I don't even know where it is, to be honest. They're all about two and a half hours. It's like Shenandoah Valley? I would assume. Okay, great. Why do you, are you just randomly saying initials or... (laughs) You have an experience with RDV. I've tasted. R- <sighs> Why are you signs? To, I, well, I want to love Virginia wines because I think it's an underrepresented region, but they're just. I'm the one trying to say the bad things here, and you're stepping over those landmines, and that's fine. Feel <laughs> free. Talk all the shit. <laughs> Michigan wine is worse, but barely. <laughs> RDV. RDV is someone. They're they're a winery. They have granite. They're not some small family that's just producing wine. Yeah. And of course, we'd all love to support those people. Uh, maybe it just doesn't work in some okay. cases. Uh, RDV has a bunch of funding. They have a bunch of money behind them. So they've been able to kind of emulate a Bordeaux style in Virginia. Okay. They have people who... They have, there's a guy who used to work up here in D.C., uh, he is this incredible sommelier. He's now down there. He, his job, from what I understand, this is secondhand, is he helps to recreate some of the best Bordeaux's 
and he drinks them. Oh, he cool. evaluates them, and so they have essentially someone like you who's just giving notes. Basically, that cool. kind of thing. It's really, it's it's really cool, but it seems like they're putting in the work and, and doing the stuff. And uh, there are a bunch of, of wine professionals from DC who went down to RDV recently, and all I heard were good things. It seems like very surprised. you have a good job, and it seems like that guy at RDV is a good job. But it seems like anyone that's actually making wine, their job is a lot more difficult. Very much so. Because they have to wait years to find out if they're doing anything good, and you could just have a sip and be like, "No thanks." Oh my it's god. That simple. Our job is so overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Our job is so overrated in comparison to the people who actually make the thing. Yeah. It's, do they hate you? Or I do they know. like you? I I've had both experiences. I feel like you're like a like a baseball scout. Like the only people that like you are the ones that like you bring up. But kinda. there's not many. <laughs> kinda. And it's like, um, well, so many people also in our profession will walk into a winery and expect special favors or that kind of thing, or you're stuck up and don't have time for someone. It's just, it's all bullshit. But I think if you show up and you pay the person attention, sure. you, you know, you invest the time into the thing and you hear the story and whatever, then, and only then, are you allowed to make a decision like Fair. that if you're there? You're facing customers. You're facing. I'm saying that like it's not conversational. You're you're dealing with customers. You're also dealing with distributors and all that stuff. Um, do you ever have to cut people off, or is that more the staff at Imperial and staff at the restaurants that you work at? I have cut people. You've off, cut people for off. sure. I've when I was working at Jack Rose as a whiskey advisor, I used to cut people off. That like tables or like, I'm sure you had to cut people off a lot more because you're serving or here neat. Whiskey. I, we really haven't had to cut anybody off sure. Imperial yet. I'm give it time. Um, <laughs> the do you have any tips for cutting people off in a way that they don't know that they're cut off? So that's like rule number one of cutting people off is they need to know that they're cut off. That's rule number one. <laughs> it's oh, like, I disagree. It's like I don't know if I well you can you can do the thing where it's like how about how about some water. Okay. Instead, for just we'll wait just a second and and why yeah, so that you you'll do that versus just trying to talk to them, not realizing they're not drinking. Oh, I'm not as good at just rambling. Oh, really? No. All right. <laughs> I'm not not nearly as good at that. Unless you know you really get me going, in which case there's no shutting me up. See, that's the difference between working in a place like where you worked in a place where I used to work because we had when we were slammed, we had like a hundred people in the bar and there was two bartenders and that's it. So it was like super easy to intentionally ignore someone that they didn't know we were ignoring them. Oh, yeah. That kind of shit we would do all the time. Perfect. Because as soon as you say you're cut off, that's when there's anger. That's when yes. there's the confrontation. So, let's bring it back to Thanksgiving. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever had to cut off a family member? Yeah. Okay, great. Oh, yeah. How do you do that? Because that's a lot more difficult when they know that they're not in public. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have... Okay. I'm going to be really discreet here <laughs> but I come from a very large Philadelphia family so you're great you're in batteries <laughs> you love gritty I get it all the stereotypes yeah, all true. the stereotypes are actually true no I get it I'm from sure. Chicago it's the same yeah, your sister and brother cities. just angry assholes just it's the angry best. assholes exactly we both love hockey yes do you actually like hockey no. or do you like gritty I well I don't really want, I don't I don't have time do you know to who watch gritty anything is? I know who gritty is that's all that matters I don't give a shit about the rest of it alright great so you're from Philly Chicago, number one drinking city in the country. Boston, number two. I'd say Philly's probably number three. Somewhere in there. 
A lot of alcoholics. A lot of alcoholics. Drink with the best of them. Mm. One of the best cities to drink is Philadelphia. It's so much fun. It's I can love it. A lot of problems though. <clears throat> we have a big family sure. holiday party yeah. every year. Yeah. All of my family, with the exception of a few, is former military as well. Okay. So this gives you a window into everyone's in shape. Maybe not necessarily in shape, but they all have this. They have muscles and experience <laughs> dealing with arms? Sure. Okay. You can call it that. But also, it's just um, who they are as people. Okay. Like, right? You think of someone some you think of uh, someone who did their four years or whatever, and you have an, a person in mind. Like, sure. You know, you know who I'm talking about. Um, I've had to cut off those uncles. And I, they love it. That's a very delicate process. Do they, do they have, are you the one making that decision or is somebody like, hey, we need you to do it because they might listen to you? It, it happens both ways. Okay. Um, where I'll like, I don't know, I'll go up to my aunt or I'll go up to whoever. And the simple fact of the matter is I drink far more alcohol on a more regular basis than anybody yeah. in my family does. Yeah. So my tolerance is higher. So I recognize the signs when it's getting out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'll go up to someone who maybe hasn't had as much as that person been like, or be like, hey, so <laughs> maybe we shouldn't encourage that person to do the next round of shots. Yes, okay, <laughs> which brings you to the shots question. Are shots ever a good idea? Yeah. Name one time it's a good idea. It's a, it's a, oh, name one time it's a good name idea. Name one time, one example, where sh taking a shot is a good idea. <laughs> it's like a handshake. Nope, you know what a handshake is? A fucking handshake. <laughs> it's not a handshake. I disagree completely. Okay. Do you think it's like, so like a handshake is like, a, it's a bonding experience. Yeah. You think taking shots is a bonding experience? I know it's it's a shitty thing to say, but it's something that exists in the bar industry specifically. Oh, I know. For sure. Um, however, yes, I say that this is, this. it's like a handshake. But I also really, really think that it's absolutely acceptable to say no. Okay. And if somebody pushes you to take that shot, that's a fucked up person and you don't need to be But that's the norm. I know. But that's... So we need... All of us need to actively try and change that. Yeah, that's why you order a glass of ice with it. And then you just pour the shot <laughs> in a glass of ice. And then you have a drink. <laughs> now you have a drink. That's what I do every time. Because I used to say no to shots for like five years. And then the last ten I was like, fuck this. I'm just taking it. And I'll just get a glass of water, drink all the water really fast, pour the shot in, and now I have a drink and I just had a glass of water. Well done. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's very smart. That's another way to cut people off. Yeah.